Welcome to the Eye on the Cure podcast, the podcast about winning the fight against retinal disease from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Welcome, everyone, to the Eye on the Cure podcast, where we cover a variety of topics, personalities, and information related to the retina, the eye, and vision. I am Ben Shaberman. Senior Director of Scientific Outreach at the Foundation and your Eye on the Cure podcast host. And I'm really delighted today to have with us Dr. Sheila Nuremberg. She's a PhD and the Nanette Leitman Professor of Neuroscience and Neurology at Weill Cornell Medicine. And she is founder of Bionic Sight which recently launched a clinical trial for an optogenetic therapy that's designed to restore vision for people who have lost all their vision or just about all their vision to retinal diseases like RP and potentially some other conditions. So welcome, Sheila. It's really great to have you with us. Well, thank you for having me. And I, I just wanted to recall how I met you. It was a while ago. It was, I want to say somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 years ago, I was at the uh, big annual conference for eye research, the Association for uh, Research and Vision and Ophthalmology. It's this conference with like 12,000 people. And I'm walking down a row of posters of different research advances. And uh, Bill Howsworth, who is a researcher at University of Florida and really one of the forefathers of gene therapy development, a really distinguished um, gene therapy researcher, kind of waved me over and said, Ben, you got to look at this poster. You got to keep your eye on this. And it was Sheila's poster and Sheila was there. And that's when I first met Sheila. And you know, you never know what's going to move forward or what's not. And it's really um, a pleasure today to see that your work is really turning into something with potential. And so we want to talk about Bionic Sight and your clinical trial of your treatment. But before we do, please tell us about your path to becoming a scientist. What did you, when did you know you wanted to make a career in this field? Well, I mean, I don't know exactly. It's sort of, um, you know, it's always been in my personality to be a scientist, I think. I just really like to understand things, to get to the bottom of how things work. Um, in many ways, it's just kind of like being a detective and who, who doesn't want to be a detective? You know, you know, a, de a detective will pull together lots of facts, but there's always one thing that doesn't fit. And so, you know, you ponder it and ponder it and you follow a lead and, and, and suddenly you figure it out. And, you know, that's sort of what being a scientist is like. Well, not as glamorous, but you know, it's still uh, it's still like that. So, you know, when I worked at the Neural Code, when when you saw that poster a long time ago, that was me as pure scientist. And then the realization that if I had that code, it it opens the door to being able to make a treatment for for blind people. Then I became like another person and started to work out how, how do I actually translate this to humans. So there's been a lot of evolution in, in this process. That's great. It really takes a lot of patience to be a scientist because things don't happen quickly. And uh, I appreciate people like you in the science, quote unquote, industry 
who can spend so much time on a project to see it to hopefully fruition. So you mentioned neural code. Um, can you explain what that is? And, and you say that you've cracked the neural code or at least in the retina. So tell us about that and how it can be applied to help people with retinal diseases. Okay, so you know when we think about the code, you know, what you're really thinking about is how the brain represents information. So everybody probably knows that you know it's represented in patterns of electrical pulses. So that's the language of the brain, patterns of electrical pulses. And they sort of look like you know Morse code, but more complicated. So if you want to communicate with the brain, you know, you have to be able to speak that same language, that same code. And so that's what I meant really. Is it's figuring out um, you know, what the how the retina takes information in what it does with that information, and then how it converts it in, into a code. So that's exactly what it does. It takes images in, it processes them, converts them into a code, and then it sends the code up to the through the optic nerve to the brain. So, you know, if you wanna make a, make a degenerated retina be able to work again, you have to know what that code is. You have to be able to do all those same things, mimic the actions of the retina, and then convert it in, into a code. And this, so this is what our device does. That's really cool. So I'm curious how you determine what that code is. What kind of studies do you do to, to quote unquote, crack that code? So we started in mice and what we did was we presented, we take, so one thing that's convenient about the retina is that you can take it out of an animal and put it on a, in a dish, you know, and, um, and keep it alive with saline and glucose and, um, all the nutrients, just like you have in a, if you were in a hospital and you get an IV bag. So you can put it on a bed of electrodes, then you can present movies to it and record the responses. So you can like watch the retina, watch the movie, and you can see all the, the mad electrical pulses coming out of it. And so what we did was we presented many different movies of a certain kind. It's too boring to explain how, how they were chosen. And we mapped the input output relationship using what's called a, a Bayesian method. And that, and that mapping of the input and output is what cracking the code means. So that way I can test it over and over, you know, with many different images and to see, did I, did I get it right every time, you know? That's pretty cool. So the bottom line is you watched rodents watch movies to exactly. crack the neural code. That, that sounds uh, like a lot of uh, fun there. So you developed this, um, device that creates the neural code similar to what the retina creates. So how are you using this in your therapeutic approach to restore vision? Um, so we have, it's a, a, a device with, that has like, it's, um, we make a pair of goggles, essentially it has a camera on it. So it'll take images in, then it goes through this encoder device, turns it into a code, and then um, it, it, its output is light pulses to activate an optogenetic gene that we've put in your eye just before. I mean, not just before, a few months before. Right, so that optogenetic therapy, if I understand correctly from reading up on this, is applied to the ganglion cells, which survive after somebody's lost all their photoreceptors to RP or perhaps another condition. And if I understand correctly, the device sends the code to those ganglion cells, is that correct? 
Right. So it's one thing to have the code, but now you have to get the code into the body. You, you have to get somebody to send the code from the eye up to the brain. And so that's what we have the, those ganglion cells do. So we send in an uh, optogenetic vector. It just gets injected in a doctor's office. It's just one injection and it takes a few seconds. And then it gets into the ganglion cells and the ganglion cells are the ones that form the optic nerve. So then we can just send light pulses into the eye and it'll land on those ganglion cells. And then they'll send the signals up to the brain in the right code. Right, very cool. Very cool. So I think what's most exciting is that you formed a company and launched a clinical trial. And just recently in that trial, you um, dosed, as we say in trials, because it's really not a treatment until it's FDA approved. Right. So you dosed four patients with the lowest dose and tell us about those early results. Okay. So we, we, um, We've dosed five now and two with the lowest dose and then three with the next dose up, but okay. we've only tested four so far. Um, the next one will get tested in, um, in two weeks. Um, and so, uh, so all of these patients had, were, you know, had blind, total blindness or near complete blindness. So, you know, some had really essentially no light perception or very, very, very little. And, um, so what did you ask me? What happened so far? Is that what your question yeah. was? <laughs> so these are RP patients, basically. I think they're all RP patients. Yes, all RP. And they came to the trial with virtually no vision. And so what are they seeing now? Okay, so this was, um, so the first thing that happens is about two or three months after they're injected, the patients, it, it just, it happens with all four of them. They started texting um, that they're starting to see something, you know, a little bit of light, a little bit of motion. Um, and what was amazing is like, this was in the middle, you know, at the very beginning of COVID, everybody was so miserable. And then you'd get these joyous texts of, I think I, I, I it was Hanukkah and um, my wife lit the candles and I saw the Hanukkah candles. And then another one is my, I could see my dog running in, in, in the snow. I can't see what he, exactly that it's a dog, but I can see, I can follow him my black lab running in the snow because it's very high contrast. Um, and so there, there, there were lots of these. And, uh, and then um, we brought them into the lab and uh, safely with serious masking involved. And, um, and we tested them objectively and quantitatively. And the, res res the results showed that the two patients that got the lowest dose were more than 20 times more sensitive to light. And the two that got the um, slightly higher dose, three times higher, were more, more than a hundred times more sensitive to light. And the two higher dose ones could see, um, could also see the direction of motion. So remember they couldn't see anything before, but now they can see a bar moving to the right or to the left and be able to tell me which way more than 80% of the time they got it right. That's, that's really, really phenomenal. Um, one so thing I want, can I add one more thing is about it? Of course. So one thing that was, um, you know, after we were testing them formally, you know, because we, we have to do it all properly, but then you can't help yourself and you sort of are playing with it. And so I was um, interested to see when, when they didn't have the comparing the case without the device versus with the device. So I was standing in front of a patient. So he just has the gene therapy, but he doesn't have the device also. And I was asking him, can he see me? And he can't, he can't, see, can't see what I'm doing. He can barely tell where I am. In fact, he probably can't tell where I am. 
So then he has, then he is, he looks through the device and now I can move my arm up and down. I can wave at him. He can tell the difference. He's like arm up and down. Oh, I can see your hand. Your, your, I can see the fluttering of your fingers in a wave. And, um, or if I move my whole body and he could see it. So it was really, it was really thrilling, honestly. And, um, uh, yeah, I'll do it again with him and film it. We, we have some film of it, but it's, it's kind of awkward and we are all wearing masks and look sort of silly, but, um, go ahead. You're going to ask something. Well, I was just going to say, it's thrilling to hear you tell those stories, um, to, to hear that people are, are getting some vision back, um, when they were previously completely blind. How did the patients feel about the results at, at this early juncture? You know, it's a whole, it's a whole range. Of course, that they're excited. That's why they're texting to say, I can see this. I can see that when that patient could see that I hugged him, I think I might've accidentally knocked his mask slightly off. I mean, there was a lot of joy, um, a little bit disorganized happiness at that moment. Well, that's, that's very cool. So I, I guess I'll combine these next two questions. Um, you obviously have next steps in the trial. You're going to treat more people. And what do you hope people will ultimately see? How much vision do you hope you can restore? Well, the, because of the device, there's the potential to go way up to, you know, to a much higher quality vision. When the, do when the dose is low, you know, there isn't that much optogenetic protein in the cells. So even if we're driving it with the device, there's not that many um, proteins to receive it. So as the dose goes up higher to the highest dose that we're gonna try, it should be much more significant. So when we test this in mice, you know, at the, at the highest dose that we tried, you know, it, it seemed to, <laughs> the protein responds every time. So it'll, that, that's the next really big step is how much can we, how much can a patient see when we um, when we're at the highest dose, exactly. so we start we start the next cohort. Um, we've we've got permission to start the next cohort to the next dose. Um, you know, a couple weeks ago. So I just did the baseline testing on. Well, I didn't, but our team did the baseline testing on uh, the first patient for the high dose. Well, very cool. I'm glad you're moving forward. And I will add, this is a phase one two trial, correct? Yes. And really the goal of these early clinical trial um, phases is safety. So the fact that you're getting some early results is, is really, um, really heartening. And the trial is underway on Long Island at its OCLI, correct? Mm -hmm. I forget what OCLI stands for. Ophthalmic, I forgot to. <laughs> um, They're on Long Island, OCLI. And if people um, want to learn more about this approach, uh, they can go to um, the website, bionicsitellc.com. Again, that's bionicsitellc.com. And they can also inquire about being a part of the trial. I'm sure you're getting a lot of inquiries. And how many people will you ultimately uh, enroll in this phase one, too? Well, we, um, the protocol allows 20, but um, I think we're, we'll try to expand it. You know, we'll try to double that or at least uh, go to 30, but I have to write to the FDA to get permission to expand. But, but we have lots of vector. So we had good, good manufacturing. So we should be able to accommodate that many people. That's great. And I think 
often when we talk about therapies like gene therapies and trials, we don't appreciate the need for quality manufacturing of the gene therapy. It's not a, a, a simple process. And so that's um, good news that uh, you're, you're doing well on the manufacturing side. So I wanna switch gears a little bit. Thanks for um, telling us about those really great early results. But you've been at this a long time and it's, it's a long path to starting a company and to launching a clinical trial. I'm just curious if there are certain challenges or milestones that stick out for you um, during this, this journey to getting this treatment off the ground. Well, you know, writing, clearing the FDA is of course a massive milestone because it's, the document is like 700 pages. And so, and all of the safety data and all of the um, efficacy data that you have so far, you know, it's a, it's a huge job. And I learned a tremendous amount doing that because I was going from a base, being a basic science to being, to being able to set this up and then putting together a team to do it. And, you know, I want to put a plug in for OCLI, even if I couldn't remember what the initials stand for, they're a wonderful team. And um, I, I want to thank them. Um, and uh, Dr. Glenn Stoller is the one who does the injections. Um, I'm just curious, were there moments where you thought, wow, you've hit a roadblock or you might not be able to move forward or were there certain people or milestones where things really kicked into gear for you? Well, um, meeting Bill Houseworth was a wonderful part in the beginning. You know, I was wanting to make this virus and I, I had the neural code and I needed a way to get it in. And I talked to him and he, I, I just cold called him and he, uh, he listened to me and he's like, I love this. He said, I'll help you. And so it became, we just became bonded and, you know, lifelong friends over it. Um, and then he later on introduced me to AGTC and they helped fund the company and um, fund the project. Um, it's a gene therapy company. Um, you know, there, it's always like this. Everything is two steps forward, one step backward. And, you know, you have to raise money. You have to convince people. You have to tell your story 500 times, although telling it to you is just fine. But um, you know what I mean. And then um, people aren't easy in many ways. Uh, somebody told me that when I first started, that uh, the science is easier than managing all the people that you have to manage to get yourself through because there's pride and ego and all sorts of things that you have to make sure everyone's happy. And my, my personality is to try to make everything win-win. So it's good for everybody, you know? Um, anyway, I, tr I try. <laughs> well, well, thanks for being honest and congratulations on, obviously you've made everybody happy, at least to this point, to, to get to this point. So congratulations. So I don't have any further questions. I don't know if there's anything more you wanted to say, Sheila, but. Thanks so much for um, joining us on the Eye on the Cure podcast and talking about this approach, which um, holds such promise for people who have lost really all of their vision. And it is gene agnostic. I want to add that. It, it's designed to work regardless of the mutation causing somebody's retinal disease. I'd also like to add that it's not, it, right now our focus is on the very blind. Um, but I think it will ultimately work on less, you know, people that are less blind. So it could it could come in at an earlier stage, 
And then even if it comes in and we can help people see for a while, over time, they'll still lose their photoreceptors, but we'll be there for that too, because we can help them you know, all the way through from boosting their vision to replacing their vision. And um, I think that's, that's helpful and comforting to know that as it's deteriorating, this method is still there. Right. Well, I'm sure people out there are really rooting for your continued success. So uh, again, thanks. Thanks again for what you're doing. So that basically concludes our podcast today. Listeners, if you have questions, comments, and any good cheer to pass along, you can send an email to podcast at fightingblindness.org. Thanks again, Sheila, for taking time to tell us about this great emerging therapy. And thanks everyone again for joining us. Stay tuned for our next installment of the Eye on the Cure podcast. This has been Eye on the Cure. To help us win the fight, please donate at foundationfightingblindness.org.